0: Welcome to the Ridge Weekly Podcast. Jesus was a master storyteller, and he constantly used short stories or parables to communicate spiritual truths to the crowds that gathered to hear him. By telling parables, the secrets of the kingdom would be revealed to Jesus' disciples, but they would be hidden from his opponents. Listen to this talk from the Parable series as we dive into some of Jesus' most memorable stories. Well, good morning. I'd like to begin today with a uh, kind of an embarrassing personal story that I think only a handful of you have heard before. Uh, many of you know that I am a little bit directionally challenged. In other words, if I'm uh, hiking someplace or I'm driving someplace where I haven't been before, I, I have a much uh, more likelihood to get lost than I think the average person. And so I have to pay attention really closely to make sure I don't get lost. Well, one evening, probably three or four years ago, maybe right before the pandemic, I don't remember exactly, but my wife and I decided to go to one of the lodges, West Virginia lodges located in the National Forest, and we thought it'd be really nice to spend a night there, and so we drove there, and it was was early evening, we uh, brought our things up into the room, and I had noticed there was a trail that went right just across from the lodge, and so... I decided to go for a hike. I really like hiking, and so I began walking, and I walked, and I walked, and I walked, and I walked. My hikes tend to be kind of long. Uh, At a certain point, I noticed that the sun was though starting to set, and I thought I'd better turn around and, and head back. I'd only made one or two turns, but I thought I could remember my way back. And I wasn't concerned about being lost on this occasion because I had my cell phone with me. And I knew I could just put in the lodge, and I think I I knew I'd be fine, so I wasn't thinking much about it. I began to walk back, and I happened to notice through the woods, about a block through the woods, that there was a road. And the road seemed to go parallel with, with the path I was on. And so I thought, well, it would be a lot quicker instead of having to you know, wind around on the trail there. If I could just go to the road, I'd get back a lot more quickly. So I made my way through the woods, found myself on the road, and began to walk. And I walked, and I walked, and I I walked. And at a certain point, I became concerned because I thought, shouldn't I have reached the lodge by now? I wasn't sure. And so I pulled out my phone, and I... I, I typed in the map app the the name of the lodge, or at least what I thought was the name of the lodge. See, my wife is the one who had made the reservation. And so I put that in and suddenly I was shocked by what I discovered. The the my phone indicated that I had to, to go five more miles to get to the lodge, and I just couldn't imagine. Surely I had not walked that far, but I thought, maybe, maybe I had. I don't know. It just seemed crazy. The other thing about it is that the, the directions were so complicated. In other words, there's a whole list. Go this far, turn here, go there, turn there, whatever. It went the whole screen, all these different directions. And I, I thought, what am I going to do about that? You know. But I had my phone with me. It was at that point I noticed some other problem, though. The, the phone was about to die. I don't know why I didn't notice that earlier. A little red line there. I don't have much time left. And so I thought, I, the only thing I can do is memorize this, th- these directions. But as I began to try to do that, I, I realized there's no way. I, I'm not gonna be able to remember these directions. And so I just prayed that the Lord would allow my phone to just live on forever type of thing. And I put it back in my pocket and I continued to walk until I thought I came to a place where maybe it would be about the time for the turn. And I pulled out my phone and it was dead. Now, by now, it was night. The sun was shining. That was a bright night, but it was night. It was nighttime. And here I was on this deserted road in the middle of a forest. I don't know how to get back to the lodge. I'm walking along. I can't call anyone. And I, I started to panic. I began, I began to pray about, Lord, you got you to help me here. You know How am I going to get to the lodge here? And there was only one idea that came to my mind that I could do. It was the only thing I could think of. And that is, I would have to do something I'd never done before, and thankfully, never since. I thought, I'm going to have to hitchhike. I'm going to have to hitchhike a ride to the lodge, which is really embarrassing, like I'm almost 60. I'm out there, you know. Now, there were two problems with my plan. Number one is that no one had driven on that road the whole time I was there. It's nighttime. Who's driving around? But second, it's just the whole situation is like a horror movie, like who's going to pick me up? Walk along, hitchhiking on a dark road in the middle of a forest. I mean, it sounds like a movie, you know. Like, says, "No, who's going to pick me up?" I wouldn't pick me up, but I didn't. I didn't think I had any option, and so I just, I just prayed about, "Lord, you got you got to keep me safe here." But I don't know what else I can do here. I'm, 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 I'm lost. Well, almost immediately, and this is again the first time this had happened, I saw lights behind me, and I realized somebody was heading my direction, in the right direction. And I I turned around and saw that it was a a big pickup truck. And I thought, okay, uh, here it goes. And I put out my thumb the way I suspected you're supposed to do it. I've seen the movies anyway like this, you know. And this truck passes me by, but then he stopped. You know, about 20, 30 feet ahead, he stopped. And I thought, Oh, that's great. And I I ran up to the truck and I said, Listen, my phone died. I was hiking. I wanted to take this road and and but I'm kinda lost. And he said, Where are you going? And I told him the name of the lodge. And he said, That doesn't I don't think that's right. He said, That's ten miles from here. And I knew in my mind, my app said five. But I don't know that he believed my story. It was just a little bit too fantastic that I'd been walking that far and that long and whatever else. But he was gracious enough to say, Well, I'll take you there if you want. And so I jumped in and we drove. And um, I don't think we drove more than 30 seconds. I don't think it was more than that. It might have been 15. I mean, we, I remember we went around one big bend. And on the left hand side was a lodge. A different lodge. Oh, it never occurred to me there could be two lodges so near each other. I, it that never occurred to me. I said, that's it, that's it. I recognized it. And so he pulled into the parking lot and he let me go. And I, I, I was just so grateful. Although I was always very embarrassed because if I had walked it, it would have taken me five minutes. You know, it's like, oh, well, you're the guy, you know, ask where this is or that is. And it's like, oh, well, it's right there. That's what it felt like. But anyway, I was, I was so thankful to him because these days it's not wise to pick up hitchhikers. I know two people that picked up hitchhikers and almost died as a result. One was stabbed repeatedly. He survived, but barely. The other one, uh, the guy pulled a, a, a um, gun on him. Both of them survived their episode, but it's not wise to pick up someone, but this guy was willing to do it. There's still some people that are gonna be kind enough to to think in their mind, if that were me, I would hope that somebody would stop and help me if it's a real need. Now, today we're looking at the story of the the Good Samaritan. I put this particular story or parable on, on my list of the top three most popular stories Jesus told. You've got the, the, the Good Samaritan, you've got the prodigal son, and you have the sower and the seed. Those are probably the three most famous stories, but this story of the Good Samaritan involves a guy that was willing to take a chance, and it was a chance, because as we're going to see in a minute, he did, it, what he did to help somebody in need wasn't just financial, but he, it was a risk. There was a risk involved. Now, whenever I do a talk on a, a subject that I know is familiar to a lot of people, I suspect some people get just a speck disappointed because they think, I kind of know this story already. I know the ending. And uh, we decide we can't learn new things. But if that's you, I want to encourage you here today to really open up your heart to say, maybe God wants to teach me something new. Because I've noticed recently in my own life, as I read the Bible, just about every day of the week, uh, almost every day now, as I'm reading sections that I have read many times before, I've been reading my Bible for 50 years. You know, I've read them all, all the stories, many times. I am finding, I'm, I, I'm learning new things that I think God is revealing, things I didn't know, thoughts that come to my mind. I'd say, that's, I never saw that before, because I think this is the nature of God's word. It's kind of like a treasure that's buried. In the Old Testament, we read that God has put certain treasures deliberately under the earth for people to find. If you want copper, you've got to go down there. If you want diamonds, you've got to go down there. If you want gold, you've got to go down there or in the water. But they're not always easy to find, and if we approach Scripture with just a casual reading of it and whatever and we move on, we won't find it. But those who stop to dig will often find something new, and I hope that will be the case for us today. Now, up front, I want to mention as we jump into this story of the Good Samaritan that I just want to give you one of the interesting points or surprises of the story. Because this guy we're going to read about, a lawyer, a religious lawyer, is going to ask Jesus, who is my neighbor? And the surprise of the story is that by the time we get to the end, we discover that that wasn't a very good question. Because Jesus spins it back around, and he basically says to the guy, you're asking the wrong question. It's not, who's my neighbor? The question that matters for all of us is, what kind of neighbor am I? You don't have to wonder who it is you need to show love and kindness to or treat as a neighbor. You only need to ask yourself, what kind of person am I when it comes to being a neighbor? Now, with all this in mind, let's begin reading in Luke chapter 10, beginning in verse 25. We read, just then, an expert in the law stood up to test him, to test Jesus. Of course, we get a hint here about the guy's motives. Saying, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? He asked him, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Now, let's stop here for a moment. Jesus' answer to this religious leader's question is, um, most Bible students are are a little bit frustrated by Jesus' answer. Uh, It's not, I have to be honest with you, if I were asked the same question, that's not the answer I would have given. And so we have to wrestle with it just a little bit because the guy asks, you know, what do you need to do to go to heaven? And And Jesus turns the question around and says, well, what do you think? I mean, how do you read your Bible? How do you read the Old Testament? Of course, the answer is there in the Old Testament. So how do you read it? And the guy responds, well, you love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength and all your mind and and love your neighbor as yourself. And and Jesus said, you're right. Well, that's that doesn't seem right, right? I mean, what's wrong with the answer? Now, Jesus is right. let just don't get too concerned. Jesus is always right. But that's not how I would have answered the question. If someone came to me and gave me that answer, I'd say, well, yeah, loving God and loving people is nice, but that's not how you get to heaven. You don't get to heaven by doing good deeds. You don't get to heaven by loving and, and loving other people. You get to heaven by faith in Christ. Faith alone and Christ alone is how we get eternal life. And faith has always been the means by which people get right with God, always. Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. God made a promise to Abraham concerning a future son who'd be born. And Abraham believed God and God credited it to him as righteousness. God declared Abraham to be righteous on the basis of his faith. Not that he was nice to people. Or he had love in his heart for God. And so you, you, the question is, why did he answer this way? And Jesus answered this way, because it's right if you could do it. If you could love God with all of your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, if you could with all of that, if you could love your neighbor as yourself, really love other people the way you love yourself, yeah, if you could do those things, you'd go to heaven. Yes, you would. But the problem is we, we can't do those things. It's impossible. Who could, and this should have been the follow-up question from this lawyer guy. After he gave the right answer, he, he should have asked, wait a minute, I've got a problem here, because what happens if you don't do it? Dr. Warren Wiersbe writes about this. Our Lord sent the man back to the law, not because the law saves us, but because the law shows us that we need to be saved. There can be no real conversion without conviction, and the law is what God uses to convict sinners. And so we discover through Jesus' answer that the intention of it was to have actually a conversation. This wasn't the end of, of the answer, it was to begin this conversation to expose the guy's need. You don't love that way. So what are you going to do about it? And, and the guy did get the point. We read in the next verse, Luke 10, 29, we read, but wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, well, who is my neighbor? You see, even with his own answers, his own answer indicted him. And, and so he obviously thought of somebody or somebody's that he wasn't loving as a neighbor, but he was was now at that point looking for loophole. I mean, probably a person came to his mind. He thought, yeah, I don't know if I love that person. But maybe that person's not my neighbor. So if I could could exclude that person from the list of neighbors, I'm doing pretty good. So he asked this question, who is my neighbor? Now, I think Jesus' whole answer to this thing reveals a need every one of us has. A modern version of this story would be something like if Jesus were here, someone would come up to Jesus and would ask the question, what do I need to do to go to heaven? That'd be the way the question would be worded. What do I need to to go to heaven? And Jesus would respond something like, you need to be perfect. And the lawyer looking for a loophole would say something to the effect, yeah, but what does it mean to be perfect? I mean, you don't mean perfect, perfect the better response on the part of the lawyer should have been, no one can be perfect. What do I do about it? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. That's how this story might have ended, but it didn't. He asked the question, who's my neighbor? So Jesus decides to answer the question, beginning in verse 30 of Luke 10. We read, Jesus took up the question, in other words, who is my neighbor, and said, "'A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho "'and fell into the hands of robbers. "'They stripped him, beat him up, and fled, "'leaving him half dead. "'A priest happened to be going down that road. "'When he saw him, he passed by on the other side. "'In the same way, a Levite, when he arrived at the place "'and saw him, passed by on the other side. "'But a Samaritan, on his journey, came up to him, "'and when he saw the man, he had compassion.'" He went over to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring olive oil and wine. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, Take care of him. When I come back, I'll reimburse you for whatever extra you spend. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The one who showed mercy to him, he said. Then Jesus told him, "Go and do likewise." Now the road that went from Jerusalem to Jericho was um, 17 miles long, and it went down. It went down 3,200 feet, so it was uh, fairly steep in places. It went through wilderness areas. It went through some some areas that were very lonely desert areas, and it also went through narrow rocky outcrops. In other words, sometimes the path went between these rocky areas where you couldn't see what was going on. And of course, this created a context where a person could be robbed. And this was the kind of thing that happened on that road quite a bit. Dr. Vincent writes about this. The road from Jerusalem to Jericho passed through a wilderness which was so notorious for robberies and murders that a portion of it was called the Red or Bloody Way. So Jesus' story here is very, very realistic. In fact, some have suggested it wasn't just a, a parable. It might have actually happened. It might have been a story they were familiar with. They'd heard about this, this guy that got robbed and, and how Samaritan. It's possible. We don't know that for sure. In either case, as the story begins, this Jewish guy is heading toward Jericho. Most likely, again, the guy that was attacked, was, he, he would have been Jewish, He was attacked by uh, robbers. They, first of all, stripped him of his clothing, and then they beat him within an inch of death, or it it describes him as being half-dead. The reason, by the way, they took his clothing first, it says, is that in biblical times, clothing was a form of wealth. You remember how even when Jesus was crucified, they were dividing, you know, trying to figure out who gets to keep his tunic. It was wealth in biblical times. It was worth a lot of money. It wasn't like us today, you know, I got 20 shirts. This was very valuable, and so they take off the garment first, the outer garment, and then they beat the guy, and they left him there. And it's obvious that these ones who attacked him were not just thieves, they were robbers. And even in our culture, there's a difference between a thief and a robber. A robber is someone who uses violent means to uh, commit a crime. So if it's, it's a violent means of doing it, then it's considered robbery and not just theft. Now, this story, by the way, just, just reading it casually, you learn that there are at least three different approaches that people can have toward other people, especially when they're in need. Uh, there are some people out there that do violence to other people. They, they hurt other people. You know, they don't recognize people are created in the image of God. And there's a lot of that these days, not, not just physically. Uh, although that happens. I was mugged in Columbus, Ohio and stabbed. I mean, there's some of that going on, but these days there are people that, that uh, do it electronically. I'm, I'm, I'm really tired of getting texts almost every day that say, hey, Brenda, do you remember when we met last? It's a fake text. And they want you to type back in and say something like, oh, I'm not Brenda, you must have the wrong person, and then the next thing you know, they're getting your bank account information. I, I hate people that rob people, and, or steal, in this case, steal from people like that, and, and drain elderly people of their life savings. What kind of evil people do stuff like that? Some do, they don't have a regard for, for human life. And when I see these, by the way, sometimes, not always, I point them to a verse in Revelation 20 that explains what happens to liars when they die. Just for your pleasant reading, Revelation 20, I forget what the reference is. I hate it. And there are people like that. And then there are people that ignore the needs of other people. And I think this is, a lot of us, where we we don't view it as our responsibility necessarily. I don't think we have any bad intentions, but... We don't view it as our responsibility, and so sometimes that's the case. And then there are others that really just love well. They they see the value of human life. And I believe that this Samaritan, he was someone that in his heart had a different view toward humanity than most people do. I don't think he questioned whether to help the guy. I don't think there was any wrestling match in his mind. We don't know that. But his very view of humanity in this situation just compelled him to do something about it because I think it matters how we view people. It matters how we end up treating them. But anyway, the guy is left half dead, and as the story continues, the priest happens down the same road, and he's heading home, likely from his priestly duties. He was heading to Jericho. Jericho, by the way, according to my research, in the time of Christ, had almost as many priests living there as there were priests living in Jerusalem. And the priest, by the way, would rotate around. And so you'd have people coming, you know, they lived close enough to Jericho. When it was their turn, they would come up to Jerusalem and then go back home. And so presumably this guy has been serving in the temple. What's interesting about him is that his service to God did not translate into service to other people. That's a problem. In some ways, this guy should have been on a spiritual high, if you think about it. He had been listening to worship music, most likely. He had hear, heard the teaching of God's word. He had been serving God. He was, in a sense, relieving people of of their sinful conscience through the sacrifices he was providing for them so that they could walk away feeling cleansed. And so he's on this, like, this spiritual high, and then he comes across a situation like this, and, and his heart isn't moved. It should be moved by this. I mean, there should be a correlation between how we love God and how we love others. Didn't John, one of Jesus' closest friends, say that? Don't, don't say you love God who, whom you can't see if you don't love the person standing in front of you, that you can. How, how could you say you love an invisible God when you don't love the person? And so there should have been a correlation, but this guy uh, didn't, didn't do anything about it. Now, I find it interesting that he passed on the other side and that Jesus didn't condemn the guy for it, at least not overtly, although maybe he was leaving that up for the readers to conclude. The readers would have recognized this, this wasn't good. In either case, though, he didn't help. Now, some have suggested the reason the priest did not do anything about it is that priests who were wearing the anointing oil were not allowed to be near a corpse. And so that's possible. I mean, he might have thought the guy was dead already. Probably not. Or he might have thought the guy's going to die while I'm standing there. I mean, priests in biblical times were not even allowed to go to the... the um, funerals of the, some of their own relatives. They weren't allowed. They weren't permitted. And so maybe that's what he was thinking. But I think there are other reasons why he didn't help. And they're the same reasons I use sometimes or you use sometimes. Here are some of the things he might have been thinking. Number one, this is risky. I can't take a chance. It is a dangerous road, that's for sure. This could be a setup. So that, maybe that was it. Or he might have thought, this isn't my problem, you know, I don't think any of us would want to admit this out loud, but I wonder if we've ever looked at someone's situation before and thought in our heart, bummer being you, I'm glad it's not me. You know, instead of having a heart of compassion that looks at the other person's situation and saying, I really want to understand what you're going through. But sometimes we think it's not our problem, or this will cost too much. In terms of time sometimes, sometimes I haven't helped out because of time. I think I just don't have the time for this, or it could be money or whatever else. It certainly wasn't the attitude Jesus had in Mark uh, 10 and verse 45, where we read, for even the Son of Man, referring to Jesus, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life, a ransom for many. Jesus came into this world for the purpose of serving, laying down his life for other people. The priest also might have thought this, I don't know what to do, so I'll do nothing. I admit I've done that before. I'll pass somebody that's um, up, you know, on the side of the road and their hood is up, and I'll think I should maybe stop and help them with their car, and then reality kicks in my mind. Tim, you don't know anything about cars. <laughs> I mean, if I can find a loose wire, I'll fix it. Well, and sometimes, you know, that's the reason sometimes we don't help, and we know people have cell phones or whatever, so we don't have to get involved. I don't know what, I, I don't know what to do, and, but the biggest reason sometimes I think we don't help is that we just don't care. We're not moved, and I think that's the issue. There's a, there's a heart problem here. And so the priest walks by, so then we read about the Levite in verse 32. We read, "...in the same way a Levite, when he arrived at the place and saw him, passed by on the other side." Now, Levites, like the priests, worked in the temple. Uh, The priests, by the way, would have been direct descendants of Aaron, or they were supposed to be, direct descendants of Moses' brother Aaron. So you couldn't be a priest or weren't supposed to be unless you were right in that line with Aaron. The Levites were part of the family line of Levi, one of the 12 tribes of Israel, And Aaron was part of that tribe as well. But you could be, if if you were part of the family line, but not directly through Aaron, you were considered a Levite. And in the Old Testament, the Levites were set apart by God. One of the 12 tribes of Israel were set apart by God to do the temple service. And they were to assist the priests. And so Dr. W.L. Leifeld writes it this way, "...priests served in the temple." Their highest duty was to offer sacrifices. Levites assisted in the maintenance of the temple services in order. Now, in verse 32, we read specifically, it says, when he arrived at the place, the Levite, and saw him. A lot of great scholars have made the observation that in the original language in which this is written, the implication is he actually walked over there. He actually came to where the guy was. So he saw it, he came to where the guy was and looked down. And then he walked back over to the other side. Now, I don't know which is worse. I mean, which is worse, to see the need from a distance and walk on? I think that's easier for our conscience, I suppose. Or to walk over and see the need firsthand. But once again, he didn't help. And this is a problem. Dr. Jameson writes about this, that these guys should have known better because in the Old Testament law, if you came across an animal, somebody's uh, animal, a cow or a horse or something, sheep, whatever, and it was in trouble of any kind, or it was in a, a hole, a pit or something, or a broken leg or something. Even if that animal belonged to an enemy of yours, you were to return it. You were to care for that animal. You would to have compassion on that animal. Don't leave it there. Show, show some heart. And if you were supposed to do that for an animal, how much more to a person, they knew better than to do this. Their hearts would have been convicting them as they continued walking. So why didn't he stop? Well, probably the same reasons. It's risky. This isn't my problem. It'll cost me too much if I stop. I'm not sure what to do. I don't really care. But then we come to the hero of the story, verse 33. But a Samaritan on his journey came up to him, and when he saw the man, he had compassion. There's the first time we find that word, compassion, which is the thing that makes the difference. Verse 34, he went over to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on olive oil and wine. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper and said, take care of him. When I come back, I'll reimburse you for whatever extra you spend. Of course, here again is the hero of the story. It's interesting in the Greek telling of this story that the word Samaritan is in the emphatic position. This is different. Now, up to this point, Jesus said, yeah, a guy got injured and a priest happened to be coming along and then a Levite happened to be coming along. But when you get to this guy, the very first word in the sentence is Samaritan. A Samaritan, yes, a Samaritan. And this would have been very uh, offensive here, you know, the Samaritans and the Jews hated each other. They despised one another. In fact, when we get to the end of the story and Jesus asked the question, which one of these was the neighbor? The guy couldn't even say the words. He says, well, the guy that helped, the one who showed mercy, he was the, he was the one that was the neighbor. He couldn't, even, he couldn't even spit out the word. They were so, dis- they, they hated each other. And this has been long-lasting. I mean, I've talked about Samaritans and Jews before, but this is a 700-year problem. So it's, it, it wasn't something easily fixed. Dr. Jeremias writes about this in 722 B.C. So 722 years before Christ, Samaria fell to the Assyrians. Samaria, by the way, was the northern ten family lines of Israel. That was called Samaria. The lower part was Judea, the two tribes, Judah and Benjamin. So this, in 722, these 10 groups, Samaria fell to the Assyrians and the leading citizens were exiled and dispersed throughout the Assyrian Empire. Non-Jewish peoples were then brought into Samaria. Intermarriage resulted and the rebels, and these were ones rebelling against God, that's why they were exiled. The rebels became half-breeds in the eyes of the southern kingdom of Judea. So great was Jewish and Samaritan hostility that Jewish's opponents could think of nothing worse to say of him, of Jesus, than, aren't we right in saying you are a Samaritan and demon-possessed? Those two are put in the same. Aren't we right, Jesus? You've got a demon in you and you're a Samaritan. I mean, it was just one of the worst things you could possibly say. Now, this twist in the story would have been surprising to the listeners because Jesus could have told the story differently. Jesus could have said a priest went by and a Levite went by, but then a Jewish man went by who didn't have religious duties, wasn't serving in the temple, just a normal person and he walked by and and he stopped and helped. And if that's how the story had ended, we'd walk away saying that just because someone is in full-time Christian ministry doesn't mean that they're walking with God, you know. I mean, you'd walk away with a different conclusion that a- any of us could serve God. You don't have to be a Christian worker to, to do that. And that's an okay message too. But to make it a Samaritan person, despised person, the hero of the story, he's, this was the guy that was willing to take the risk. This is the guy that said, that person's problem is also my problem. This is the person who is willing to pay the cost in terms of time and money and energy I mean, think of what this guy did. He went over to him. He, he cleaned up his wounds using the the wine to disinfect, and then they would have put on the olive oil. They used to do that in biblical times. He put the guy on his own donkey. Presumably, he had to walk. He goes to the the inn there, and and he has to go somewhere. But he says, "I'm going to take care of this guy before I leave." Gives him two denarii, two days' wages. Is what a denarii would have been a day's wage. So it's two days' wages. But in our culture. I mean, that may not sound, sound like much, but in our culture today, he basically gave that innkeeper 350 to $400 and, and say care for him while I'm gone. In addition, he was willing to take a risk along the way. But the main thing is that he cared. The main thing is that he had compassion in his heart. He alone. We're to love our neighbors as ourselves. And how much do we love ourselves? Well, we love ourselves a lot. Every one of us in this room, we love ourselves, don't we? You got cleaned up because you love yourself. Get rid of the dirt because you love yourself. Dressed in nice clothes because you love yourself. Did you feed yourself? I mean, the list goes on and on. The things we do for ourselves. We're to love other people. So let's look at the conclusion of the story. In verse 36, Jesus asked this guy, Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The one who showed mercy to him, he said. Jesus then told him, go and do the same. Now, part of Jesus' answer to the question of who is my neighbor is everybody is. Anyone you come near to. See, even the word neighbor has the word nigh, near. Anyone who is your neighbor, near person. Anyone you come in contact is a neighbor. So that was part of the answer. But again, Jesus did a tricky thing here because he was making the point that this this religious leader here, this, this lawyer of the law or whatever, was more concerned about who my neighbor is. And Jesus flipped the tables on him and said, it's not about who your neighbor is. The question is, what kind of neighbor are you? R. H. Stein explains it this way. Jesus indicated that one should worry less about who a neighbor is than about being a good neighbor. So let's bring this home. I think sometimes we wrestle with the question, who do I have to love or who, who do I have to serve? You know, and, and we are sometimes limiting. I know I've done that before. I wonder, do I need to help in this situation? Should I help in this situation? I think that's a legitimate question that people ask. And I think also that it's complicated these days because in our culture today, sometimes helping hurts. Sometimes we think we're helping somebody by giving money or doing this. Then we're not. And it's, it's complicated. I, we've had so many examples here at the church uh, where, where I, I knew that we were enabling something and not really helping some, meet someone's need. I, I, we want to have a heart to meet needs, but it is complicated. But let me give a c- couple applications here. One is that I think we will be faced with opportunities to help others. I'd rather default on the side of showing compassion and love, even if their motives aren't right. I'd rather show love and compassion. I don't always stop to give money to this or that. I've, again, I've seen things that made me question certain things, I suppose. But I want to I be an agent of love, and that's what I think God wants us to be in this world. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 16, he said, let your light shine before men so that they may see your good works and then give glory to your Father in heaven. You see, when we do good for other people and they are blessed and their needs are met, then we thank God. Do you think I didn't, when I was picked up by that driver, do you think that the moment I jumped out of that truck, I didn't say, thank you, Lord? And he gets glory as we as we serve other people, ephesians two ten we read for we are His creation, created in Christ Jesus, for what for good works, which God prepared ahead of time so that we should walk in them, and so I think God wants us to be the kind of people that do good throughout this world, and there are opportunities all the time. For example, this morning was announced the backpack campaign. there are just a lot of students that are embarrassed by whatever they're going to bring to school because other kids are going to tease them for whatever they, they, that bag they have or or the fact they don't have certain things in it. And as a church, we are all the time looking for opportunities to just bless other people and say, we value you and love you and we want to help. But there are opportunities all of us have. And so as you're out and about, I'm saying, look, look for opportunities and be discerning about it and pray about it. Again, some things don't make sense, picking up hitchhikers, So if you see me, you can pick me up, but if it's anyone else, don't, okay? But the last application I want to mention here is that we think of neighbors oftentimes, even as a church here, we think of them as people out there, but sometimes it's people in here. And in Galatians, we read that we're really to put first and foremost doing good deeds for those that are in the household of faith, that there's a greater obligation within our doors. And God has given to us, also gifts to be used to serve. And so in 1 Peter 4.10, we read, based on the gift each one has received, use it to serve others as good managers of the very grace of God, because God has given us things to manage. Certain things, talents, finances, whatever else God has given us things to manage, our job is to be a good steward. But there are needs around us, and I'm just saying let's have a sensitivity toward that. Let's steward well. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you for the amazing love you have for us and how you do care for us and how you use your people to meet needs in your world so that people might be pointed to you. And we want to be that kind of person wherever we are, even in the kindness we show toward those we meet day by day, that we would love others well and give us opportunities, O Lord, to just demonstrate the love you have for us toward other people so that we might even point them to Christ if the opportunity becomes available. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Ridge Weekly Podcast. If you'd like to hear more messages now, you can check out our past series at theridge.church/messages, or download the free Ridge app. Thanks again for listening, and we will see you next time.